Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Toby. I'm on a summer holiday now. And as somebody in the audience might recall, I'm building a house on the side, which essentially means I have people building it for me, but I visit the, uh, the construction site and try to look sharp and try to understand what people are doing there. Uh, so a weird thing happened uh, this week, actually. Uh, it's it's re- required or mandated by the law and the local zoning requirements that before you actually build anything and when you have the ground floor prepared and that takes weeks that you have to hire somebody to do testing on the ground floor and i think this is a finnish invention a person shows up with this tube i I think it's about one meter three feet or so and they put the tube on the ground and within the tube they, they, they have, a, I think it's a one kilo weight, so that's two pounds, and they drop that weight within the tube and measure the carrying capacity of the ground floor and, and if, it's, if it's supporting the anticipated weight of the house. So all clear so far. So this guy shows up. I'm not there, but I, I ring him and he shows up. He does his tests. He sends me this report and I've linked the, the chart, the result chart in our notes. And I'll, I'll also share this publicly uh, with this episode. And within the chart, there's a purple line above two, between two and 2.5. And that's, that's the minimum requirement of the carrying capacity of the ground floor. And out of the six tests that he did, we only reached between 1.5 to 1.9. So we're we're under the minimum quality standard. So I got this result and I'm not really sure what do I need to do next. We failed on the essential test before we can build. So I call the people who are building and preparing the ground floor they scratch their heads and say, we have no idea what to do next. Uh, but they suggest that perhaps we, you know, remove some ground floor and reinforce that and it will take two more weeks and a lot of money. So what I did next is I called the person who did this test, this carrying capacity test, and ask, what should I do next? And, and, and he's quite perplexed on the phone. What do you mean? You passed the test. And I said, no, no. I need to be over two, and my max result is 1.9. So I failed it. No, no, that's from Excel, and it's inverted. So oh, you nice. actually passed with flying colors, but it just looks like you didn't pass. Obviously, okay. I, was, I was quite relieved. Yeah, we don't have to do anything. We can move forward. But this is an interesting aspect that, that non-IT people, builders, are using Excel but they, they mess with the X and Y, and the, the result is something that an IT person looks, oh, we failed, but anybody in the construction business looks, hey, you passed with flying colors. 
So this was a good education for me, a good lesson, definitely. And uh, I'm, I'll definitely share the chart because it's anybody in IT looking at the chart goes, okay, it's under, but anybody in the building business goes, oh yeah, this looks really good. So that's been, that's been top of mind for me in the past week. How about for you? So I'm, I'm looking at that chart right now. And yeah, I would agree that you're not passing a single one of the tests. It's like you have this level of unit tests or test coverage and you're yep. falling behind on every single attempt. Yep. Uh, but anyway, that's very interesting and also good to know for the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, I am building stuff, but I'm building stuff myself. So I have reduced my working time to only two days a week. Uh, so instead of taking four or five weeks of vacation in a single block, I'm taking a longer time, two months, where I work slightly less than half time because there are systems I need to keep tabs on and things I need to do during the summer for work. And that kind of fits well with us buying a new house and we have you know, constructors and uh, people coming over, contractors to do things all the summer. So... Uh, meanwhile, we are getting quotes from people to renovate some of the old stuff we have in this in this house. I'm also building a wooden deck, a terrace myself, 100% ground up, putting a new ground, putting a new, I don't even know the English words for all these, uh, like for the, the wooden framework around it and adjusting it horizontally. So you have this perfect horizontal wooden floor. There was something there in the past, but I could tear it up with my fingers and just lift up the old wooden deck and walk away with it. It was in such a poor shape. Um, so it's actually pretty cool to do something analog. So it's a lot of cutting. So obviously I need to buy uh, a new saw, one of those really cool big saws. Um, they make uh, huge um, noises and uh, you know it, it scares all the kids in the neighborhood. It's going to be great. Uh, I, I know the neighbors are going to love me. Um, so I, yeah, I started doing that and, and cutting up the boards and adjusting everything and, and building the framework. And now did that for a few days and I am physically exhausted, but the wooden deck will hopefully be finished by tomorrow. And then every day when I sit inside and I'm looking out, I can see my shiny new wooden deck, 100% perfect alignment with everything in the surrounding and I can feel pride in, I did that myself. Just like when you build a, a great solution or you code something and, and it turns out great, same kind of feeling, um, except that this is now attached to the house. So I really, really hope I don't screw it up and make it tilts or you know something just looks awkward because I'm gonna have to look at it every day for the rest of my life. So for a brief moment, when you said you're working two days a week, I, th I thought that, okay, so the remainder, three days a week you would focus on just recording these podcast episodes and and we would get like 25 done each week but i'm happy to hear that you're actually doing something else than it yeah it's very analog but you know that said it's a good idea to buffer up on a couple of episodes we have a lot of great things on our mind for the for the so show so i think in the, during the summer we can probably uh, record some of the fun shows we have in mind as well indeed indeed so today this is episode 89 and i actually had to look this up because i lost track at some point but this is 89 azure disk encryption for linux 
And the, the idea for, the, for this episode and this topic came when I had a customer who had this sort of a query and a requirement that is everything encrypted within their Azure subscription. And they had a bunch of Linux virtual machines. And I figured, well, I, I haven't really spent that much time in figuring out what the encryption model is, especially if, if the VM is not a Windows server, but it's a Linux. So having your disks for your virtual machines, are they encrypted or not? And at face value, I, I, I thought, well, obviously everything is encrypted, but Toby, is this something you're looking into? I know you don't really work that much with VMs, but do you have this sort of a mindset that everything you put in Azure, you, you want to ensure everything is encrypted somehow? Everything I put anywhere should be encrypted, not only somehow, but hopefully in, in more than one way. Uh, we do not use VMs a lot. We have a lot of microservices. And most of the things we do today is around some kind of a microservice architecture. We don't really rely on big VMs or any type of VM for that matter. Uh, we also use a bring your own device. So most people use their laptops, they're connected and, and rolled into Intune. So we have like the regulatory compliance done that way. Um, so we don't actually, I don't think we have a single VM for any production workload in our company anymore. And I'm super happy about that. Everything works with serverless microservices and uh, yeah, we've managed to stay out of the VM uh, management. That said, if I do spin up a VM and that does happen from time to time, uh, I do enable encryption where applicable, but I don't use a lot of Linux VMs to be, uh, to be fair, so. I often meet with people who utilize Azure for different needs. And, and often people start using, let's say, virtual machines before they know there's an alternative, or it might be that the alternative is, is not a viable option. So they stick with the VM, which is perfectly fine, but then they sort of start building different solutions within the VM without perhaps fully investing in, in, in designing and planning on the overall architecture. And, and for this reason, I, I feel that encryption is crucial here. So how it goes is that you spin up a VM, it will be stored at an Azure storage account, and that will by default have encryption at rest. So whatever data you put in there, it will be encrypted. So anybody trying to fiddle with your data will get encrypted blobs from the storage account. But the actual disk image, so usually that's a .vhd file, that's not encrypted. So the file is stored on an encrypted storage account, but everything inside that disk image by default is not encrypted. So if somebody has access to that storage account, they can download that disk image and remount that perhaps locally and access any files you have in there or perhaps through a backup. So this was sort of the starting point for my journey in understanding what can I do? Storage account is, is taken care of, but what about the disk images for my VMs? And there's an interesting angle here. Azure Security Center will actually complain 
that you have a Linux VM and it doesn't have encryption enabled. And there's a, there's a switch that perhaps you need to follow these instructions. But the key here is that you have to enable a functionality called Azure Disk Encryption, which is an extension for the VM that you enable. And the supported Linux distributions are Red Hat, SUS. I'm not actually sure how you, how you pronounce it. Is it SUSE or SUS? I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I used it a long time ago and I think we said SUSE, but that was perhaps, perhaps a, a bit Swedish way to pronounce it. Yeah, Finnish way would be SUSE. SUSE. Let's yeah. go with that. <laughs> yeah, let's go with Red Hat and SUSE. <laughs> Ubuntu. <laughs> Ubuntu and OpenLogic CentOS. So these four distributions are the supported ones for Azure Disk Encryption. But interestingly though, you cannot use the latest and greatest kernel versions or, or, or the distribution versions. So as an example, Ubuntu 20.04, that's the latest release, but that's not supported for Azure Disk Encryption. You have to go with the 18 point something, the long-term uh, servicing model. It's, is that because of the LTS or long time service flag? Or is that because the latest version needs to somehow get an upgrade inside of Azure Disk Encryption in order to actually work? I, I think it's only because somebody at Microsoft hasn't fully tested that the disk encryption works on the 20 point something as well as it works mm. on 18 point something. So they flat out say, these are the supported ones. If you try to do with anything else, you're on your own. It might not work. It might work as well. So thankfully, in this one instance I was working on, everything was Ubuntu 18 point something. So I figured, okay, I'm good to continue from here. And how, how it works, and, and there's a long article on Wikipedia on, on the technology here. But how it works is that the Azure Disk Encryption is an extension which simply instructs a feature within the Linux kernel called dmcrypt to encrypt the operating system volume and or any data disks that you might have. So dmcrypt is part of the Linux kernel since 2.6 version. So this is not as if Microsoft built their own disk encryption engine for Linux. And you They're would just making have... use of what's already inside of the kernel. Yes. So you don't Turning have on, to yeah. buy in to Microsoft vision that we know Linux the best. They're simply piggybacking on whatever is already there in the kernel. So if you trust the Linux kernel dmcrypt functionality, that's it. And I'm quite sure you could do this manually, but through the Azure Disk Encryption extension, which you simply enable for that VM or use Azure Policy or use Azure Security Center, everything is taken care of for you. But there's a, there's a couple of requirements and the list is fairly long and we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. But the crucial thing is, all the disks that you want to encrypt have to be listed in the, uh, in the file that Linux uses to maintain the disk and volume geometry. So that's in, in the etc directory, the fs tab file. So that's a text file. You have to have all of your disks listed in there. The extension for Azure Disk Encryption will go through that file to figure out what should we encrypt. 
what sort of content should be handled. Do you need to do that yourself and put that in there or that's handled for you when you say, all right, now I need to have a disk encryption and that magically appears into the file or do you need to do something there? That file is already there in, in all Linux distributions. But if you fiddle with something special, perhaps you have super custom uh, disk management tooling that doesn't list everything in that file, then if you enable encryption and you realize, well, it didn't really encrypt everything, it's because you didn't have those volumes and disks listed in that text file. Okay. And the second thing is you have to have Azure Key Vault. And I think anybody listening on this who's been working with Azure and perhaps has listened to our very first episode, which was about Azure Key Vault, already sort of came to this conclusion. Well, if you're encrypting something, we have to have the encryption key somewhere, and that would be in Azure Key Vault. And if you provision a new one, you have to grant the permission for Azure Disk Encryption to be able to pull the encryption key from Key Vault. And then I think that makes sense. And can you then like cycle these keys or that would kind of scramble perhaps the encryption of the VM? But how do you, I guess you can encrypt the keys as well. Or how do, how do you protect this data? So everything being inside of Key Vault is great. Imagine you have 10 VMs and you want to use the same key, then perhaps you can point to the same key inside of Key Vault. Can you also make sure that every VM gets a unique key, but you can still centrally manage them from the same vault? Yes, yes to all of these. And what you can, of course, do, you can you can just write down the encryption key in a post-it note, put that next to your display. And then when you move on to the next VM, you simply type it down from the post-it note. Uh, so you can have multiple key vaults or just one central one and put one key per VM or about uh, one shared key for a bunch of VMs. And what's supported also is a key encryption key so you can encrypt the encryption key with another key and maintain that perhaps elsewhere as well. But uh, what I tried, I tried using an existing key vault or provisioning a new one for the first Linux VM that, that I want to encrypt the disks for. And if I don't have a key vault already, I can provision that when I go through enabling the extension or I can spin up a key vault as I would do normally, perhaps through a script, and then I can point to that key vault, but it, it has to have the, uh, the permission for Azure Disk Encryption to be able to access the key vault. And once all of these are done, uh, you can initiate the encryption through a script, so Azure CLI, PowerShell, or you can use Azure Portal. And my recommendation here would be, use Azure portal for the first VM that you're testing against the encryption to see how it works. If you directly go to scripts and something fails, I found it's, it's perhaps slightly complex to try to debug later on. Yeah, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. And I think that goes for a lot of things in Azure. Using the CLI and PowerShell, stuff like this, it's really convenient. But sometimes when trying to figure things out, the UI does a tremendous job in helping us. So, all right, you have convinced me. I am now setting up a virtual machine based on Linux. 
uh, based on perhaps the next latest Ubuntu, so 18 point something, not the 20.04. Uh, and I want to enable encryption. Now, what do I do? So obviously I take a backup of whatever VM I want to encrypt, just in case I screw it up somehow, right? So if you really know what you're doing, perhaps just skip the backup. Nothing will fail and it will pass <laughs> with flying colors. Famous last words. Yeah. Uh, you can take a backup, but that often takes, depending on the disks, it might take minutes or hours, or you might have a super fancy backup routine that kicks in at three o'clock in the morning every Sunday. So you might need to wait for that to happen. But what you can do, though, you can take a snapshot. So the snapshot uh, is a separate feature. Just search for snapshot in Azure portal. And you can point to that VM and say, please make a snapshot of this disk. Maintain the status of this VM right now. And whenever you need to go back, it works exactly the same as it would work on Hyper-V or VMware or in on-premises. You point to the snapshot and say, actually revert back to this snapshot from two hours ago. And it so will that, switch so the that disk. Means when you enable disk encryption later, it only encrypts current version moving forward, but none of the existing snapshots, right? Yeah. And that's perhaps something to be aware of if like you started with customer requirements saying everything needs to be encrypted. If you now start encrypting your existing VMs and historical snapshots are not encrypted, then that's something to at least be aware of. I don't know if you can post encrypt them, probably not. Um, but perhaps this is a, a good thing to, you know, my compliance brain comes in here again and, and think regulatory compliance would dictate that if everything should be encrypted, then these backups or snapshots, if they are not encrypted, we have to either remove them or get rid of them, purge them, something. But something yeah. to perhaps then be aware of. That's a, that's a really good point. And the same needs to apply to your snapshots and also to your backups. And often you might have an offsite backup. So those would be unencrypted. And then at some point in time, you decide to start encrypting the disks. And from that point in time, your backups will be encrypted as well. So, so sort of the recovery model has to be tested later on. Are you backing up your key vault as well? So if you lose that, don't lose your encryption key because then your backups are useless. So then when you have your snapshot, and that only takes two seconds to complete, uh, you go to the VM, select disks, and there's um, a button called additional settings. And under there, you will find the encryption button. And you can encrypt the operating disks, the data disks, or both. And obviously, depending on what's, what sort of disks and how much data you have, you might want to select everything. And the VM will now reboot to enable the extension. And the recommendation is that you do not log into that VM through SSH or anything else, because you might accidentally lock some files. And now when it's encrypting the disks, you really don't want anything to be locked. That's why it, it initiates the reboot first. And for one VM, this took about five minutes. It was... Uh, Default Ubuntu VM with, with a 30 gigabyte OS volume, it took five minutes. So I spun up a new VM and I did the exact same steps and the encryption took three hours. So be prepared that this will take some time. And while it's encrypting, 
the Linux VM will go into rescue mode and it will complain that there's an unknown file system. And I did panic a bit on the first production VM because the Linux is in rescue mode. You cannot log in. It's complaining about an unknown file system unable to mount. And you really don't know what's happening. Is it working through the encryption? Did something fail? Should I reboot? Should I not? So in PowerShell, you have a commandlet. And this was the only place I could find to query about the encryption status. And the commandlet is called get-az-vm-disk-encryption-status. And you point to the VM and the resource group, and it will spit out a few status lines telling what's the status, what completed, what failed, is it still working on something? And you keep querying through this. And once it reboots again, everything is done, and you can continue using the VM. That's a pretty good tip because I know also from experience and uh, not with exactly VM and disk encryption, but similar things, you do something, it's supposed to go this way and then it doesn't work. Now, like you said there, you panicked perhaps for slightly uh, um, a short moment. What if you would have hit the reboot button? What if you would have rebooted it with the process then stop and disk encryption fail? Or I think there's a, a lot of people, myself included, uh, that would start thinking about all the possible things that could have gone wrong. Why is it in rescue mode? Why is it not displaying what it's supposed to? And then you start to try and figure that out. And part of that journey might be that you accidentally reboot it or stop it or do something else, which then could, of course, yeah, tamper with the current encryption of the file system. So it's very good to know that this command get uh, azvm disk encryption status exists. So if you do enable it, have that command in handy, take a look what it reports back and don't panic if it says it's working on it. And the, and the challenge here is that you have a production Linux VM and, and you set out to encrypt the disks, but you really don't know how, how long it will take. It might be two hours, it might be six hours, and you might have people waiting for that process to complete that they can resume their work on that VM. And the only thing you can do is, well, it's down for now, it will resume once it's done. And once it reboots, you need to log in and use the lsblk command, that's a built-in Linux command, to list all of the, uh, the disks that you have mounted. And those are, are obviously listed from the, from the uh, file in the etc directory. And if you have any disks that have a type of crypt, then you know, okay, these are encrypted now with the dmcrypt functionality. So if, if, if you get here, everything is fine. And you will now see the uh, Azure Disk Encryption extension as part of the VM. And you can click that in Azure Portal to see some additional details. But if it fails, you need to shut down the VM, recover from the snapshot. So go to the snapshot, pick up the disk and say, please recover this back to the original VM. But if that VM still has that Azure Disk Encryption extension, once you reboot it again with the snapshot disk, the recover disk, it will start the encryption again because the extension is there waiting for disks to encrypt. So if it fails and you, you want to sort of backtrack and not continue with the encryption, 
remove the extension as well. Right. That's also a good point. So that's it, really. Uh, so on paper, it's super simple. You flip one switch in the disks, as long as everything else in the requirements is, is fine. You provision key vault, you grant the permission, you create the encryption key, you wait, you ensure everything is fine. That's it. But this is not something that's enabled by default. So perhaps what I would do in the future is either in Azure Security Center ensure that any future Linux VMs will get encryption by default or use Azure policy to enforce encryption. Otherwise, all of my backups would be unencrypted and anybody who would get their hands on any of the disk images would easily mount them and see whatever is happening within those VMs without me really knowing. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this was a informative episode. Um, I have not worked that much with Linux VMs. I mostly do things on, on Windows VMs, the times I do use a VM, uh, but this is good to know. Uh, I do have some use cases where, which I've perhaps pushed a bit too far uh, in front of me where I need to do a couple of things on uh, Ubuntu VMs. And we also use Ubuntu for our Docker images. And then we have some VMs we wanna try some things on. And this might be the first thing that I do. And now with these gotchas, I hope it will be a smooth ride. And perhaps I will do that as the very first thing before I start actually utilizing the VM. Sounds good. And in case somebody listening on this is wondering, so what if my VM is a Windows Server or Windows 10? Obviously, then you would be using BitLocker. And that's built in in the sense that it's super easy to enable. You don't need to worry that much. But for the Linux VMs, you have to use Azure Disk Encryption, which is an extension to direct decrypt to initiate the encryption. And you hold the key for decrypting those when you need to mount those disks. Alrighty. This was, this was fun as always. I think we only have the surprising question. And Toby, it's your turn to ask me. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I have a lot of questions on my mind. Uh, don't ask me why I have these questions on my mind, though. Uh, so here's one. Let's go with this one. What mildly annoying curse do you wish you'd, you could curse people with? So for instance, someone annoys you or something, you know, for whatever reason, you would want to mildly uh, curse someone. Uh, what would that mild curse be? This is a great question. Uh, I have the perfect use case that I quickly explain here that sort of underlines the importance of, of this sort of capability. Uh, this past weekend, we went to the summer cabin and it's about a one hour drive from Helsinki. And it's a super small village. And I needed to do my, my gym training during the weekend as well. And the only gym that I know in that small village is closed. So I went to Google Maps to find if there's anything else. And I found another gym. I called them and said, yeah, I'm not, not a local. I'm not planning on buying like a yearly membership. I just want to visit your gym once whatever it costs, I need to visit once. And they were friendly enough to say, yeah, yeah, you can, you can visit and just pay a couple of euro and, and, and you're good. So I go in there. It's a new place for me. I, I sort of need to find the gear. And there's a lot of people at the gym at the same time. And 
most of them have their phone with them, which I understand because you often want to have a short video to see if your form is good and so on. But they have the, 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 the phones with them and they have YouTube videos on the phones using the phone speaker for background music. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I really didn't get that. So my mildly annoying curse that I, I really, really hoped I could do is I could look at a phone or point at the phone and it would drop from 4G or 5G to 2G, effectively not getting any data anymore. So they could still receive phone calls, the regular ones, but they couldn't keep blasting those YouTube videos anymore for the next 45 minutes. That would be perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good use case. Use case. I will. Uh, I buy that. That's okay. I know. I know it's awfully specific, but that was the instance that I figured. I wish I could just turn all of these phones offline. It was an awkward question. So the if the answer is very specific, that's okay. <laughs> Excellent. This was fun. Uh, thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll join us next week as well. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.